the impact. We're in our brand new series today um, called Now What? Whether you're here and, and you've been coming for a little bit, but you're, you, um, and you've started to like grow in your faith, and maybe you're new to faith, or you're new to church, and you're not sure what your next step is, or you've been uh, following Jesus for a long time, and, and you're just wondering, okay, now that I've been doing this for a while, and I serve, and I'm in groups, and what, now what do I do? This series, we're going to be talking about different ways that you can take your next step. Now what? Now what do we do next? Now what do I do when it comes to my faith? Two weeks ago, um, right before Easter, my, my family and I went to Disney World. Um, it was actually the week, and it was my, it was pretty dumb of me to do this, because it was my time to schedule it. I was like, you know, I'm going to schedule doing a family vacation to, to Disney World right before Easter, which, you know, I don't know if you know Church World very much, but it's a pretty busy day here at Church World. And so the whole week prior, we were in Disney World, um, and it was, it was my plan, but it was my wife's spring break, so that's why we went. And, um, and when we're there, I, they, I don't know if you know this about me, but um, they call me Disney Eric. They really do. My family does, because I'm really into Disney, and I don't know why. Maybe as a kid, we went to Disney a lot. So I know, like, the best ways to do Disney. I know um, how the apps work. I know how the history of all the rides for those, in case you want to know, if you want to, uh, the Carousel of Progress, for those of you that, that know about Disney, um, there was a death in the Carousel of Progress a long time ago in Disneyland, and they still think that you can hear the ghost of the girl who died. Look it up. It's a real thing. Anyway, so I know this stuff. Don't know why I know this stuff. Some of you are looking it up right now. Wow, okay. Um, but yeah, I know, I know Disney. So I was at Disney um, a couple weeks ago, and I love going to Disney, but every time I'm there, I always forget a couple things. Here's what I forget. Number one, I forget how expensive Disney World is. Like, it's unbelievable. My our family, we have a Disney card. It's the only way we're gonna, we can afford to go to Disney, so we kind of save up that way. And you just, I just got really tired of spending so much money at Disney World. And, like, here's what's ridiculous. This is all theme parks, but Disney does it too. Why do we have to pay to park at a place that we're going to be? They could, they could charge $100 to park. I have to do it or I'm not going to Disney that day. It's, it's a made-up. Anyways, okay, uh, never mind. Why is it so expensive, number one? Um, another thing I realize is how tiring it is. It is just exhausted. And I'm a, I'm a person that when I go to Disney, I want to get there when the gates open. I want to be one of the first people to walk in. And I want to get there and I want to stay until it closes because, again, I spent a lot of money to be there. I want to take as much time as possible being there. So um, I want to get my money's worth. But I've learned this time that I'm 37. Um, and so my feet can't handle walking. This is the oldest person sounding thing. My, I, after day three, my feet were hurting. I couldn't walk anymore at Disney. It was brutal. So, yeah, but I'm trying to get everything going. And then um, I also realized I'm just so tired of how crowded it is. It is insanely crowded. I don't mind crowds, but I get tired of people walking too slow in front of me. I get tired of people butting in line. Like, to me, it's like if you have one person in your party there and everyone else is back there, shouldn't the one person go back, right, not the entire party go up in front? Um, I, may, I might have said a comment to someone who did that. Um, wasn't very passionately of me, I know, but it was day seven and my feet were tired. Um, I just get tired of it. I, I, there's so many people there. But while I was there, um, I would wear my normal attire, where my normal attire is Oriole shirts or Raven shirts. I'm an Oriole fan and a Raven fan. And what's cool about being at Disney World is you'll have people every once in a while that will, like, say stuff to you because you're wearing um, a, a shirt of a, of a team they like. So I heard a lot of, hey, go O's. I'm like, yeah, go O's. They're going to be, they're getting better this year. I got a lot of, hey, what's up with this Lamar Jackson stuff? And I would say, hey, I'm on vacation. I don't want to talk about this, okay? But all these people would come up and talk to me about it. And every once in a while, and a couple of people, I started talking to them about, like, sports because they were also wearing the same sport team that I like, the Orioles, I'm sure, Ravens. So I was like, hey, so, like, you're, you're a Ravens fan? And they'll be like, yeah, yeah, I am. And every once in a while, this will happen even here. I'll say, hey, are you a Ravens fan? And they'll go, yeah, I am. 
and like, oh, well, what'd you think of the game last week? Which, not now, there's no games, but what'd you think of the game last week? And they'd be like, well, I didn't watch it, so did we win? And I'm like, and then here's what I do every once in a while. I say, hey, name me five Ravens right now. And they'll go, Lamar, uh, Justin Tucker, and that's about it. They always stop there. Um, so whenever I do that, here's what I know. You may identify as a Ravens fan or an Oriole fan. If you don't watch the games and you can't tell me five players, you're not a Ravens fan, okay? You're not an Orioles fan. Michelle says she's a Steelers fan. She doesn't know any Steelers. She said that to annoy Frank and I. See? That's what all oh, she does. It. She's not. So every once in a while, I will meet people, and I'll quiz them, and I'll figure it out. If you want to be a fan of a sports team, I'm there. I'm, I'm in Disney World rep, repping my sports teams no matter what. It's not just wearing the shirt or, or having the hat. It's, it's more than that. It's watching the games. It is learning the players. It is identifying yourself as a fan of that team, even when they're terrible. I've been an Orioles fan for a long time, and they've been terrible for a long time. It's identifying with them. It's participating with them as a fan. This made me think, how do we know if we are actually a follower of Jesus? Like, is it just us saying it? Is it just us saying, yeah, like, I'm a Christian, I, I follow him? Is, is it just us going to church? Is, is this the way we do it? How, how do we do it? Because if you look at the stats, the majority of America still claims to be Christians, but I wonder if it's the same way that some people claim to root for a team that they actually don't know the players and they don't watch the games. Like, I wonder if it's kind of the same thing. But how do I know? Because at the end of the day, I don't know your heart. At the end of the day, I don't really know how you're feeling. There's, I can't really know. So I can do a sermon, and I can ask people to raise their hand in response, and you may do that, but I don't really know what change is happening in your life. I don't really know what's, how you're actually responding. But luckily, the Bible talks about one of the major ways when we start our journey in faith, one of the major ways that we do that, one of the major ways that we take the belief that we have and we make it part of who we are and our identity. And it is crucial and it's an important step that if we confess to be a follower of Jesus, that the Bible talks about that all of us should take this next step at some point. And it's a step of faith that um, can be uncomfortable. It's a step that is strange at first, but it links us with who Jesus was. It links us with what Jesus modeled, and it proclaims that we are new in Christ. And that next step is baptism. Here's what baptism is. Baptism is faith in action. Baptism is a public declaration of what God has done in your life and is doing inside of you. It is telling the world that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. I mean, Jesus, he, he dies and he resurrected and then he reveals himself to 500 people. And before he ascends, he, he gives one last mission, one last statement that all of, all of his disciples and followers are called to do. And this statement goes well beyond just them, but it goes to us as well. It's Matthew chapter 28, starting verse 18. It says, then Jesus, uh, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Jesus commands his disciples to, to make, go make disciples and baptize people. When someone accepts their faith, the next step they need to take after they've accepted it is to go public with that decision through baptism. And what's interesting here is Jesus could have said anything here, right? He could have said, hey, go make disciples of all nations, encourage them to go find a church they can be part of. Go make disciples of all nations, encourage them to give. Go make disciples of all nations and encourage them to serve. But that's not what he says. He says, no, I want you to go make disciples of all nations and the very next thing, baptizing them 
In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus found baptism to be so important that his last marching orders was get baptized. But talking about baptism can be tricky because many of you in the room maybe have already been baptized. So you're hearing this and like, okay, there's a sermon of something I've already done. So for a lot of us, we think we can just maybe check out because what, what do I need to know? I already did it, so I don't need to do that again, even though I would remind you Jesus is giving this last command not to pastors or to a church, but to followers of Jesus. So if you've already been baptized, then maybe it's important for you to understand it so you can help somebody else disciple them so that they can get baptized. But it's also tricky because there's so many different viewpoints and, and thoughts when it comes to baptism. Some people baptize infants or some churches baptize infants and some don't. Some think it's, baptism is necessary for salvation and others don't. Some believe that you can just sprinkle. Some believe um, they should do full submersion. Some believe baptism forgives you of your sins, and some um, believe that baptism doesn't cleanse you of your sins. It just reflects on the fact that you have been forgiven of your sins. So today, I'm going to talk about three things, three things and three ways that we know what baptism is, what we should know about baptism, three things that we believe about baptism. And then I'm going to answer a couple questions that we get a lot when it comes to baptism, and then I'm going to offer you a next step. So here's number one. What is baptism? It's an act that doesn't save you. This is very important, and if you've been here, you've heard me say this, but when it comes to baptism, every time we baptize people right before I do it, I always say, just so you know, this baptism, it, which is all the way in the back, if you want to look at it, it's, it's a feeding trough that we got from Tractor Supply, okay? That's all it is. Um, there's nothing holy about it. It comes from that water back there. The reason why we got a feeding trough is because we get people to sign it, which is awesome, and it's also a lot cheaper than the Christian version of a baptistry, so that's what we did, okay? So we bought a feeding trough, and we put impact on it. Because there's nothing special about the baptistry or the water. It does not save you. And, and bat, getting baptized doesn't get you into a better slot in heaven. I say that a lot. And I don't say any of this stuff just to try to be funny, but I say it to address a couple things that we feel about baptism. A lot of times people think that we do it so that God can save us. We do that, we get baptized so that we can be forgiven. Or we get baptized so that we can go to heaven. I want to make something perfectly clear. Baptism doesn't save you. You know what saves you? According to Jesus, it's your faith. Here's, let me give you some verses. Luke chapter 7, verse 50 says, Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Matthew 9, verse 2, and they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. Acts 16, verse 31, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Your faith, your faith saves you. But how do you know if you have faith? Well, that would be your actions, and that's where we get confused, because we start to think, well, it's not about our actions, it's not about our works, not about what we do, it's all about faith. That's how I, it's freely given, it's faith. But the way I show that I have faith is through how I act, is through my actions. That's where we can get confused with it. Your actions do not save you. They simply reflect what you believe. That is why Jesus, anytime he healed somebody, he always gave an action. If he healed the paralytic, he said, now get your mat and walk. If he healed someone, he said, now go show yourself to the priest. If he, he healed someone who was blind, he said, now go wash your eyes. There's always an action next to the free gift of grace. You see, baptism is a public declaration of new work. It's what it is doesn't save you. Baptism is your faith in action. It is the action that we take to show what we believe. And we do public declarations all the time. 
We all we do it a lot. If you've ever if you if you've gotten married, your wedding ceremony was a public declaration. If you are about to have a child and you do a big birth announcement, that is a public declaration. If you ever accepted a new job and you let everyone know about it, that was a public declaration. We do declarations all the time. But those declarations didn't make it happen, right? It is just declaring what has already happened to you. And it also isn't the end. You can accept a job, but you still have to work the job. You can announce you're having a baby, but you still have to be a parent. Baptism is not the act that saves you. It is a public declaration of new work that is happening in you and that will continue to happen. Number two, baptism is an act of obedience. As a parent, um, one thing they didn't teach me in the, in the parent books that I bought, actually, <laughs> they're, just, they're just, don't buy one. They're just, they're ripping you off. Um, but I remember buying some of those books, and one thing that, um, that I never, no one ever warned me about was that um, how hard it would be to be patient with my kids when they hear clearly my instruction of what to do and just choose not to do it. No one taught me how to be patient with that. It's something I'm working on. In fact, my son Noah, he does it all the time. He's the king of this. The other day, he um, was hitting his sisters, you know, that's what he does. He's just hitting them, and they kept saying, stop, stop. And he's like, I'm Batman. And he talks in a Batman voice every after. He's like, I'm Batman. And he's hitting them. And I said, Noah, you got to stop hitting your sisters. And this boy looked straight at me, smiled, and hit again. I was like, are you kidding? Do you want to die, Noah? Like, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? So, and I, I had to find a way to be patient and be like, go send him to his room and took toys away is what I had to do. But when it was, he clearly knew what I was instructing him, stop hitting your sisters. He looked right at me and kept doing it. Baptism is an act of obedience. It's that simple. When you read scripture, time and time and time again, people are called to follow Jesus, always through repentance, through, through repenting, called to follow Jesus, and then are called to proclaim their belief through baptism. Let me give you some verses. Mark, Mark chapter 16. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Galatians chapter 3 says, So in Christ you are all children of God through faith, for all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. Acts chapter 19 says, On hearing this, as in having faith, repenting, they were baptized in the name of Lord Jesus. Baptism is an act of obedience. Baptism is a public declaration of inward grace. You accept the grace of God given to you by Jesus' death and resurrection. And when you accept it, you declare it by going public with your faith through the act of baptism. So the question you need to ask yourself is, are you willing? Are you willing to go to, to follow God and to, and to um, come to God on his terms? Because his terms are clear. You read scripture. After you receive grace, you are then called to be baptized. After you receive and start following Christ, you are then called to go public with that decision in faith. It's number two. Number three, baptism is an act of identification. The reason why we um, baptize people the way that we do, just submersion into a feeding trough, but the reason why we do that is because of what it symbolizes. What it symbolizes, it symbolizes that we are identifying ourselves with Christ symbolically. As in, we are identifying with us with Christ symbolically through his death and his resurrection. Being baptized symbolizes what Christ did. Christ died for all of us, so we are all called to die to ourselves, to die 
to who we are. We're, we're symbolizing going down as we're dying with, with Christ, but Christ also rose again. It symbolizes that when we die to ourselves, we are made new in him. We rise again. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 through 4 says, Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So when we are baptized, we are telling the world who we identify as, follower of Christ. And when you are a follower of Christ, you are also identify as part of his church. I want to make something clear. When I say church, I don't mean this local church. I mean the church universal. You not to meet, need to be baptized in order to be an owner of this church, but to be part of the bigger body of believers that we're called to be, the church. Baptism identifies us. Baptism is a public declaration of a new association. For those of you that are married in the room, once you get married, do that public declaration of, of a wedding. Your identity should change, right? You shouldn't be the same person you were in college when you were single and you were trying to find the love of your life. That shouldn't be you anymore. You should now be new. Your identity changes. You go from a single person to a husband or a wife. And when you walk around, after you get married, you constantly walk around with something that identifies you, with a ring, right? We all walk around with a wedding ring, or maybe if you don't like rings, I have friends that just get a tattoo there. But when I got married, um, I remember when I first tried it on before we got married to make sure it worked, it was really tight. And so I put it on, and I had a panic attack. Like, this is the rest of my life. I can't get this off. So I remember, like, we got to get a little size bigger, okay, so I can slip that off pretty easily. So, but we all walk around with a ring. Once you are married, you walk around with this, and you should act differently, right? You are not alone anymore. The Bible says that two have now become one. You now have a partner. You have a new association. It should change the way you manage your time. Once you're married and wear this around, it should change the way you manage your time. It should change the way you interact with the opposite sex because you're married. It should change the way you think about yourself, the way you think about your needs. You made a public declaration. You have a new association, so you should act like it. When you go public with your faith through baptism, it is a public declaration that shows your new association. You should not continue the same. You are new, so we should act like it. So now that we've explained what baptism is and the three things that baptism is, question I get a lot is, well, how do you know if you're ready for baptism? How, do, how, how would I know if this is, for some of you in the room, that this is your next step? How do I know this is my next step? Well, there's two questions I, I would ask you. One, have you trusted Jesus for salvation? Have you followed Jesus? No one should be baptized out of guilt. No one should be forced or pressured into baptism. There's a reason that you will never see a surprise baptism here. That we will never do a sermon and then we say, now if you're interested and want to get baptized, we're going to do it right now. The reason why we don't want to do that is because we want to make sure you're actually ready. We don't want you to do it just out of emotion or out of guilt or I said something a certain way and Frank was playing behind me a certain way so you felt a certain way so you decided to do it. We want you to, to think about it. We want you to have your family here. We want you to really know. So have, you have to ask yourself, have you trusted Jesus for salvation? Have you put your trust in him? First question. The second question, are you willing to go God's way now? Don't ask yourself, are you willing to be perfect now? Don't ask yourself, are you willing to never mess up again? No, are you willing to say, God, whatever you say, I'm going to go that direction now. And I'm not always going to get it right. And there's times where I'm confused about it. And there's times where I'm going to start going. I'm going to start going back because I'm a sinful person. I'll eventually go back. But am I willing to go God's way now? 
Every time we baptize people, I ask one question. Are you willing to confess that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior? The reason we say both of those, we don't just say Savior. Because anyone can say, yeah, Jesus is my Savior, because we can't save ourselves. We need someone to save us. So it's easy to say, yeah, you can save me so I can go to heaven one day. Yeah, sure, you can be my Savior. But we also want you to say, he's also to, I'm also confessing that he is my Lord. That means that I will follow you. That means that I'm going to be obedient to you. That, that means that, God, you are the king who I follow even when I don't fully understand. So have you trusted Jesus in salvation for your salvation? And are you willing to go God's way now? And if the answer to both of those is yes, and you have never been baptized since you've understood it, then plain and simple, you should get baptized. It is your next step. And I know a lot of times we'll, we'll talk about this, and people say, well, I just want to pray about it. I just want to really think. And I, and I would say, this is not something you need to pray about. If you've never been baptized, and you follow Jesus, you don't need to pray to God whether you should get baptized. He clearly tells us it is our next step. If you say yes to both, and you have not been baptized since accepting God's grace, it is your next step. Now, I know when we talk about this, and I'm going to do a couple questions, then we're going to sing a closing song, and we'll be done. Whenever we talk about this, whenever I talk about baptism with anybody, there's a couple questions I always get, and it might be your question. So I'm going to answer a couple questions that we get constantly whenever we talk about it. Here's the first one. This is the one I get all the time. I was baptized as a baby. Should I get baptized? I get this. I, I understand this question. Um, my wife was baptized as a baby. I completely understand. Um, the simple answer, and I'll explain a little more, but the simple answer I get for this is if you're baptized as a baby, should you get baptized as, a, as an adult? I would say yes, you should. Here's why. Baptism, according to Scripture, is always the next step after salvation, not before. And since you did not make the decision as a baby, you need to get baptized again. See, we, weren't, we aren't against um, infant baptism here. We're part of the Church of Nazarene denomination, if you didn't know that. Um, and so we're not against it. Church of Nazarene actually allows us to do it, and it has to do with provenient grace, which is a whole other sermon that I could, I could explain, but uh, it would take a while. So we aren't anti-infant baptism here by any means. But the reason why we always encourage people to get baptized again, even if they were baptized as a baby, is because every example we find in Scripture of someone getting baptized is as an adult, including Jesus. Every example. I mean, I don't know if you know that where infant baptism came from, but it didn't really come from Scripture. Where it came from, most scholars believe that infant baptism began 400 years after the resurrection of Jesus by Augustine. Back then, the infant mortality rate was about 50%. So that means half the babies that were born would die before they turned two. That is a very high percentage. And they saw baptism as something that, that Jesus modeled and commanded that we do, they put it at such a high level that they decide, you know what, if half the babies are going to die and Jesus commanded that we need to do baptism, we're going to start baptizing babies because half of them are going to die, so it's something we have to do. It is a great way to show the reverence to baptism. It's, it's a good thing. But then the pendulum swung the other way in the 16th century during the Reformation. People like John Calvin and Martin Luther said, no, it's all about faith, and they started to neglect some of the biblical action of baptism to pursue faith alone. But that is the tradition of infant baptism. Here's what we believe when it comes to infant baptism. We believe that the baptism you had when you were a child was a very important and crucial sacrament and ritual that your parents did that you now need to do again. That's why we do here baby dedications more than we do infant baptisms, because we believe that baptism is faith in action. We believe that you must have faith 
before you take the action. So if you're here and you were baptized as an infant and you, along your journey, have discovered your faith, I would say you need to get baptized again. Here's a pushback we get. Whenever we talk about it, we say, I always hear people say, well, what would my parents think? Because my parents don't necessarily agree with this. What, what would they think? And um, I'll tell you a story of my wife. My wife, who is upstairs right now um, with, with the kids, um, she was baptized. She was Catholic growing up, and she was baptized as a baby. And um, we started dating. Um, we actually did what we call missionary dating, <laughs> as in I was a Christian and she wasn't. Um, but I thought she was attractive, so I was like, I can get her to meet Jesus. So we started, I started dating her. <laughs> I, don't, I don't recommend that, by the way, for anybody else. But um, anyways. Um, but no, she, she always believed in God. She, she grew up in church. And the second she turned 18, she told her parents, hey, you, don't, you can't make me go to church anymore. I'm done going to church. So she stopped going to church. Eventually she met. She became a follower of Jesus. Um, and then uh, she decided to get baptized. And she was terrified to tell her parents about it because her parents were Catholic. And, and what would they think? So... She talked to them, and they didn't understand it. She sent them some sermons, um, and they didn't fully understand what it truly meant. But eventually, she got baptized. Here's actually a picture of her um, getting baptized. Um, see, I'm wearing an Oriole shirt. See, go O's. Um, but this is uh, my parents' pool. This is the pool that I got baptized in. This is the pool that my grandfather got baptized in the same day I did. This is the pool that my wife got baptized in. Uh, Kimmy, I learned, got baptized in this pool. If you ever go to my parents' house to go swimming, it's a holy pool that you're in, okay? A lot of baptisms there. And they were there to celebrate the fact that she got baptized. Because they saw it as, you know what, we don't see it exactly the same way you do. But what I tell people is, when she got baptized, it wasn't dismissing what her parents did. It was actually saying, because of what you did as a child and because of how you raised me, I am now doing it myself. That her baptism affirmed the dedication that her parents did for her as a child. So what I would say to you, you were baptized as a baby and have not been baptized since. I truly believe that Scripture tells us that this is your next step. Here's another question I get. If I get baptized, do I have to stop blank? If I get baptized, do I have to stop this one thing? Peter's uh, message uh, the day the church was established was pretty, pretty simple. Two points. Repent, be baptized. That was his sermon. Repent, be baptized. Repentance is changing your direction changing your mind. It's designed, I was going this way, but I'm going to repent and start going this way because this is the way you call me to go, God. And here's an analogy that I, that I love to use when people ask me this. Let's say you go and you propose to somebody. And you get down on one knee and you say, will you marry me? And the person that you're proposing to says, I will, but do I have to stop blank? Do, do I have to stop spending all my money before? I'll say yes, but do I have to stop spending all my money? Uh, do I have to stop playing video games all the time? Do I have to stop going out with my friends? Uh, I will, but do I have to stop dating other people? There's some other people I'm dating. Do I have to stop doing that? If that happens, I would say, don't get married, right? You should not get married. If the person responds with, I will, but I don't know if I can stop blank. If this is your question, I fully understand it. We all have struggles. We all have things we're working through. We all have, have different ways that we are trying to grow closer to God and, and different things that we are struggling with. I completely get it. But if this is your question, I would just simply tell you, you're not ready. If we have to think, well, I don't know if I want to give up all of this, then we're simply not ready, and that's okay. Every time we baptize people, I always talk with people to make sure that this is their next step. And there have been people that I've talked to that said, hey, I'm, I'm glad you're excited about this. I just don't think you're ready yet. I think that, that we need to work in our faith a little more, that, that we need to really, because there's a question. I, I want to get baptized, but I don't want to do all this other stuff, too. 
So if this is your question, I would say you're not really ready, and that's okay. Faith is a journey. You're constantly in a journey. That is okay. Here's another question I get all the time. This will be my last question. What if I'm not good enough to get baptized? Give this a lot. I still struggle. I want to follow God, but I just keep messing up. What if I'm not a good enough Christian? What if I'm not good enough to get baptized? I understand how you feel. And I would say if this is your question, then you are ready. Then you're ready. Uh, there's a story Jesus tells about a Pharisee and a sinner in the temple. The Pharisee is the religious person who's up at the front and he's making a big show of his prayer. And he's saying, dear God, thank you that I'm I, that you've blessed me so much. Thank you that I'm not like all those sinners in the back. Thank you for who I am. Then there's a sinner all the way in the back, and he says he's beating his chest. He's just mourning. He says, God, forgive me, for I am a sinner. Jesus says, out of those two, this is the one you will see in my kingdom, not this one. Let me ask you a question. Who is the worst sinner you know? Who is the worst sinner you know? Here's what your answer should be. The worst sinner I know is me. That's the worst sinner I know. I am the worst sinner I know. That means that you understand your need for a Savior, for a Lord. So if you're asking, what if I'm not good enough because I know how much I struggle, I know how, how sinful I am, then I would say you understand the grace that you've been given and you should be baptized. One of the, my favorite things that we do here at this church is um, we do... We'll take that baptistry. If you ever look at it, it's really beat up. The reason why is because we don't just baptize people here. We'll take that over to Mountain Manor Treatment Center, which is a place where people are um, in recovery. We do um, a weekly Bible study. Tyler's in the back, and, and Lisa does a weekly Bible study. We do a uh, once-a-month uh, service. Um, once a month, we also go and just kind of help them with some questions they may have. Um, it's a ministry that's been going for a while that is one of my favorite ministries that we do that I don't really do much for it. We have a whole team that does it, that started it without me, and, and they came, and we're just supporting it. And every once in a while, we get to take that baptistry over there and baptize people. There's one time I was, I, I met with some of the people, this guy named Jason, and he was like, I just want to tell you my story, and I'm not really sure if I should get baptized, because if you knew my story, you would probably tell me, should get baptized? Well, let me hear it. And here's his story. I told this before, but it's a, an amazing story. Jason said that he was married with a kid, and, um, his wife and his, I think it was his daughter, um, got hit by a drunk driver, and they both died. And so Jason started to become addicted. He started drinking a lot, doing other things. And he said, I actually know where that guy lives, that, that man. And I've thought about going over there and killing him. So I'm just so angry and so much hurt. Eventually he gets arrested um, for some of the things he's doing. And um, while he's in prison, he, he gets out and he starts going to recovery and he meets somebody else. He meets, a, he meets a, someone else who's in recovery. And they kind of connect and they start dating. They're both in recovery. They're both doing well. They get out of that, that, that recovery facility. They go to a house and they move in together and they're together. And um, after a while, he, has a, he just decides, you know what? What if we used again? So we haven't done it in a while. And this temptation came and he convinced this girl he was dating to use again, they both did, and she died. She OD'd. He eventually, eventually goes back to prison. He goes back to the recovery center. So he's telling me this story, and he's like, so how can a God forgive me? So I'm like, I, I was speechless. So we talk about 
God of forgiveness, a God that no matter what you've done, that he loves you and that he, he comes after you and he seeks you out and he, and he reaches out to you and that he forgives you. And then he said, okay, well, how do I forgive myself? Great question. We talked a little more. If he decides to get baptized, and if you've ever been there for one of the baptism services, they don't always say much. Um, sometimes when they talk, they just kind of say a couple things. But he came up, and I know his story, and he comes up and he goes, um, so I'm getting baptized because um, I know God has forgiven me, and I'm learning to forgive myself. So we're all like bawling. And that's all he said. I know what that meant. There was a lot more weight to that. So we baptized him. And if you go back to that baptistry, you'll find a name Jason on that baptistry. He got baptized. He was a person who said, what if I'm not good enough? What if I'm not good enough? Listen, none of us are good enough. None of us deserve the grace that God has given us, but he gives it to us freely anyway. That's why it's called grace. You don't deserve it. All we have to do is accept that, repent, say, I say yes to you. Baptism is us being obedient. It's what it is. So as we get ready to close, worship team, you can start coming up. I want to give you an opportunity to get baptized. Not today. I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to that next step. So on April 30th, which is two Sundays from now, we are going to be doing a baptism service. We're talking to the older kids upstairs, so some of the parents that are, that are here, third, fourth, fifth graders, we're also talking to them about it. We want you as parents to be part of that conversation. We would never tell them to get baptized without you talking to them. But for those that are in the room that know this is my next step, like you know it. As the way I've talked today, you know it's your next step. I want to highly encourage you on April 30th to get baptized. The way you can sign up for that, you can sign up on your connection card. You can come find me after service and tell me. On the iPad all the way in the back, um, you can talk to either Lindsay or any of the host team or the iPad, you can sign up there. But we want to help you with that very important next step. And for everybody else that's here that has been baptized before and you know this is not your next step, April 30th, I want you to circle that on your calendar. Because that's going to be a great day that we get to celebrate the fact that people are moving from death to life, that are publicly declaring that Jesus is their Lord and their Savior. If this is your next step, let us know. We want to help you with that next step. And next week, we will continue with our series, Now What? Let's pray. Dear, I thank you that you are the God who brings dead things to life. You are the God of resurrection. You are the God that makes us new. God, thank you that you are a God who is clear about what our next step should be. And I pray for anyone in this room that knows that their next step is baptism. I pray that you give them the courage to have the obedience to take that next step so that they can declare what they believe. They can declare what you are doing in their lives. Dear, thank you for loving us, for giving us grace, for forgiving us, for giving us a new direction in life. In your son's name, amen. Let's stand, let's sing this closing song.